Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It turns out that lambs, sheep, goats, same word in Hebrew, are rather a common thing throughout the scriptures and pretty important, as it turns out, all the way back to the beginning. We might forget about this one if we're listing off all the kind of major narratives with lambs or sheep or goats in our minds, we might forget about this one, that right at the beginning, when Cain and Abel are performing their various vocations, that Abel is out tending the flock, that he's a sheep herder, which is a little bit of an odd thing when you think about it for a minute, because the Lord has not yet given permission to eat the animals. And so what exactly are the sheep being tended for? Well, it turns out they're being tended for the sacrifices, which becomes very apparent as you work through the book of Genesis, that over and over you have altars being set up and sacrifices being given to the Lord. And if you're not tending a flock and breeding sheep for that purpose, then very quickly you're not going to have any sheep for the sacrifices any longer, which turns out to be a pretty big problem. Then you get to Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham gets this command to take his son, his only son, up on to Mount Moriah and to there sacrifice him. And Abraham does, as we find out in the book of Hebrews, by faith, trusting that he will receive back from the Lord his son Isaac, to whom the promise was given. That is, that even if he goes and he sacrifices Isaac on Mount Moriah as he has been commanded, that Isaac will still be the one through whom his offspring is named. That the Lord will bring Isaac back from the dead. And that's why he goes and does it willingly. He knows what the promise is and he knows the Lord doesn't break his promise. But the Lord sends a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket by its horns, and Abraham sacrifices it instead. And then you get to the Passover, where the Lord commands the Israelites to eat the Passover with haste and to take the blood of the lamb and to smear it across the lintels and the posts of the doors so that when the angel of the Lord passes by that evening, that he will pass over their homes, not killing the firstborn. And from that time forward, it becomes an annual remembrance of the mercy of God, the passing over, the the Passover meal that is the foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper. And then you get into the day of Yom Kippur. This is detailed in Leviticus in chapter 19, that the great, the most important day in the Jewish calendar, the one day a year where the high priest could enter into the most holy places where the Ark of the Covenant was, And there he did so for his sins and for the sins of the people in order to place the blood of the lamb upon the altar. And you had, along with that, you had the scapegoat 
that the sins of the people will be placed on and then it would be ushered out into the wilderness with Azazel. And this wasn't part of the, um, the Mosaic command, but what they would actually do is they'd bring it out into the wilderness and they'd find a convenient cliff to kind of drive it off because you can imagine um, it, it's not all that comfortable to have the lamb, the goat that you just put the sins of the people on, come meandering back into the village later on. You don't want that to happen. So off the cliff. And then out of this flows all the daily sacrifices. Every morning and every evening, there were services at the temple and there were sacrifices for the sins of the people, for individual families. You would come in and you would bring in your own animal or you would purchase one at the temple. That's where the money changers come in later on in the Gospels. And you would offer that as a sacrifice for sins. Over and over and over, throughout all the centuries, there's a problem, though. There's a reason why these keep having to be repeated over and over and over and over and over. Because while these sacrifices forgive the sins of the people, they're incomplete. While these sacrifices do cover the people's sins, they don't take them away. This is a point that the author of the Hebrews makes, that these sacrifices had to be completed over and over and over, but the sacrifices of bulls and goats can never take away sin. And that's a problem. And so the beauty of John the Baptist's sermon rings out. Behold, the Lamb of God, not just any lamb, but the Lamb of God, who doesn't just die for sins, doesn't just forgive sins, he does that, but who takes away the sins of the world, removes them. That's why he's there. Jesus is the sin bearer, and even more than that, he is, if we could coin this term, the sin taker awayer. Now there's three particular temptations then that this preaching of John is fighting against. The first temptation is that we would take that vocation for ourselves, the sin-taker-awayer vocation. We get this in our minds, we've talked about this before, that if we do enough, if we perform enough good works, if we keep the law well enough, if we're good enough people, then the Lord will forgive us. And that is our natural inclination. That is my inclination just as much as your inclination, just as everybody's inclination in the entire world. That is our fallen state. To think that we can work out our own salvation, that we can earn our salvation somehow, that we can take our sin away from ourself. But that's not our vocation. That is the vocation of the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. Now, we should endeavor to keep the law and to do good works. These are important things. They are commanded by our Lord for a reason. And we should do what he commands. But we should do so knowing that that does not and cannot earn our salvation. Only the death of Jesus can. Behold the Lamb of God, 
takes away your sin. The next temptation is that I don't have sin that needs to be forgiven. And sometimes I've noticed this when when this comes up periodically in conversations that I have or in in Bible study or whatever, there's a surprised notion that anybody would think that they don't have sin to be forgiven. But if you go around and you talk with people enough, you'll see that this is kind of the prevailing idea. I've had people come in and talk to me in my study and have told me flat out, I'm not a sinner. This is a problem, and this is something that clings to our, to our flesh, that we don't want to believe that we are the sinners that God proclaims us to be in his word. And this is important. We have to have the law preaching to us so that the gospel would make sense. The gospel that your sins are forgiven freely because of the death and resurrection of Christ makes no sense if you don't believe that you have sins that need to be forgiven in the first place. As Jesus reminds us, those who are well have no need of a physician. As he says elsewhere, I have come not for the righteous, but the unrighteous. And it kind of goes like this. If, if you have a, a, like a throbbing finger and it's been throbbing for like weeks and weeks and weeks, and you go into the hospital and the doctor looks at it, and then without saying anything, he comes up and he grabs a, grabs a hacksaw to go and cut your finger off, you're probably going to poke him in the eye and run out because you don't know what he's doing. You don't know why he's trying to cut your finger off. But if you go in and the doctor diagnoses what's wrong with your finger and he says, you have gangrene in your finger and it's going to spread to your hand and to your arm and to the rest of your body and we need to cut it off so that it doesn't do that, you're going to help him look for the saw. This is what the law is doing. The law is revealing the gangrene, the, the sin the sickness that is in us, so that the gospel, which is the medicine for that, can be properly applied. And so John's preaching hits this as well. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sickness. The third thing then, and this is maybe the the most terrifying one, is this idea that the devil gets into our minds that Jesus is not for me. That sure, Jesus died for those people. Sure, he died for those sins. But there's no way Jesus would have died for me, for this sin. If, and this is the idea that comes into our mind, if Jesus knew who I am and what I've done, He wouldn't have died for me. But Jesus knows who you are. He's known you since before you were conceived in your mother's womb. He knows the thoughts and desires of your hearts, the righteous ones and the evil ones. And knowing all that, he still dies for you. That's why it's mercy. This is the nature of God's love, in fact. God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. While we are his enemies, Christ dies for us. Knowing full well who we are 
what we think, what we say, what we do, Christ dies for us. And he gladly does this. He joyfully takes upon your sin and sheds his blood and is buried and raised. Because in doing so, he makes you his own children. And so John's preaching fights against the idea that Jesus is for everybody else, but not me, for every other sin, but not this one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And last time I checked, all of you sitting here, and myself included, are a part of the world. And this is why this sermon of John, this one-sentence sermon, is, I think, the most beautiful sermon to have ever been preached. In its simple complexity, its simple depth. Because it wraps together all of the Old Testament sacrifices into this single proclamation, this Lamb of God that is greater than all the others. That it points us to Jesus' chief vocation, the reason why he is born for us, the thing we are going to celebrate one week from today. That he is the sin-bearer, the sin-taker-aware. It points us to the very nature of our sin that needs to be taken away. And it points us to the mercy of Christ to take even my sin, even that thing that I've buried in the back of my closet, to take that upon himself so that I would be his own and live under him in his kingdom. It shows the one sacrifice the one death that takes away, not just forgives, not just covers, but takes away your sin. Separates it as far as the east is from the west. Drowns it in the depths of the sea. Obliterates it so that it no longer stands before the face of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.